You're listening to Tech Square ATL. We tell the stories of Tech Square, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene. Breakthrough talent, breakthrough ideas, and breakthrough companies. All right. Welcome to the Hump Day Exchange. I am your host, Scott Henderson, a.k.a. Scotty Hendo on the interwebs. We're recording in front of a live audience in Tech Square, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene, and are excited to bring you this episode. Hump Day Exchange is a collaborative effort of Sandbox ATL and ATDC. On this episode, we'll explore how cities across the country and world are striving to become the next Buffalo of the 1800s, Detroit of the early 1900s, and today's San Francisco. To help us do that, we'll talk with Adora Chung from Y Combinator, Grant Wainscott from the Metro Atlanta Chamber, and Dave Williams from Nomadics, calling all the way in from Lisbon, our first one here. So we are excited about a couple firsts for the Hump Day Exchange on this episode. It is the first time we're patching one of our three featured guests in from afar, thanks to the advancements with Google Hangouts. Uh, it's also the first time we're featuring a partner from Y Combinator, so arguably the world's most successful startup accelerator. So we're excited about those two first. Um, if you're listening to our show for the first time, here's how the program will go. After a short introduction to the topic, I'll invite each guest into the hot seat for a one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, focused on their perspective. And then once all three are through, we'll gather them for a roundtable conversation where they get to ask each other questions. And then we'll finish with a town hall battle royale style Q&A with our audience here. So let's begin with setting the frame. So cities rise from commerce. The traditional patty, uh, pattern for cities uh, starts with the crossroads that were connecting ancient game trails that became human trails. And the nascent settlement that uh, popped up there eventually grows larger and larger as commerce and technology advance. So Buffalo of the 1800s was a connection point between the Erie Canale, Canal and the uh, Great Lakes. Detroit sat further west on the Great Lakes, and the San Francisco Peninsula was on the far end of the gold rush. All of them were the center of the tech universe in their prime, and so Buffalo attracted Edison and Tesla, Detroit begat Ford, and San Francisco gave us Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and all the other glorious people that are out there right now. So in recent years, we've even seen wholesale manufacturing of cities out of nothing in China in their rush to modernize. Dubai went from desert town to global city almost overnight, and London, Lagos, Berlin, Austin, Denver, Lisbon, and many other cities are vying to become the next great tech hub. So with that, it seems to be a waning era of the nation state. One could ask, are we, we return to the age of the city state and the return of the Hanseatic League-like trade alliances? Uh, I digress. I mean, politics and history there. If they're not your bag, let's talk about the present day and how Jeff Bezos at Amazon is completely disrupting the economic development scene with uh, Amazon's search for a second headquarters, aka HQ2. So they're already owning 19% of the city of its Seattle's prime office space. And Amazon has put out an RFP for cities and regions to woo them to set up their second headquarter campus. Atlanta's very own Connor Sen uh, wrote in his September 13th Bloomberg column that Bezos has um, laid out the blueprint for the next generation of tech hubs. And I recommend you read his whole column. I mean, the basic uh, premise is that we're moving from the installation age of technology to the deployment age. In this age, tech companies seek cities with cheaper land and labor. Um, and here's, a, here's a condensed reading of what he lays out. Let me quote a couple of paragraphs here. This will have big implications for cities and the U.S. economy. The installation age of tech is mostly what we've seen in Silicon Valley over the past 25 years, the creation of new technologies like the internet, smartphones, and social media. Creative destruction and disruption is, is the, the norm. Companies founded by college dropouts that became huge seemly, seemingly overnight, widening economic inequality, extreme geographic clustering of innovation and econ economic activity, mostly in the San Francisco Bay Area with a secondary node of activity in Seattle. But when decision-making shifts to powerful incumbents, rather than an organic network of entrepreneurs and investors, it signals a shift to a deployment age. Amazon's approach to creating a second headquarters is one symptom. So that was just a, a quick selection. But he continues on later in the piece and says, whereas the installation age was defined by innovation, the deployment age is defined by maturation. Consolidation and expansion will replace creative destruction and disruption. Economic growth will become more geographically decentralized, broadening out from a handful of cities to a dozen or more. Over time, this should help to reduce economic inequality and make growth feel more inclusive and broad-based. There, there's, a, there's a lot of meat and potatoes in, in Connor's column, and uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for you, but I definitely go and read it. And if you're on Twitter, go follow him at, uh, at Connor Sen, C-O-N-O-R-S-E-N. So with that in mind, 
and knowing that you can't copy or recreate anyone else's success, but you certainly can emulate it. There seems to be a reformulation of approaches for the next wave of global tech hubs. So those who focus on their strengths and comparative advantages will rise. So who's on the rise? That's what we want to explore on this episode. So let's get started with our first guest in the hot seat. So welcome to the hot seat, Adora Chung, partner at Y Combinator. Hello, hello. So as you get settled, let me give a quick bio for everyone. So um, as part of Y Combinator's fall tour, Dora's been holding office hours here all day in the garage today with uh, startup, uh, student startups, and she's going to headline an open house after the show with our partners from Startup Exchange. Um, originally a product of South Carolina. You believe that? Yes. South Carolina. Down the road. She was a co-founder and CEO of Homejoy, which was funded by Y Combinator in 2010. And before that, she ran product at Slide. She has a bachelor's in computer science from Clemson University, go Tigers, and is an economics PhD dropout at the University of Rochester. You gave up the, the, the white hot dogs of Rochester. Oh, yeah. That was not hard. <laughs> yeah, oh, and the winter. Um, in the winter, yes. That part in the winter. So, uh, Adora, thanks for taking time tonight. I mean, you've had a full day. So, when, when companies join Y Combinator, um, they have to agree to move to the Valley for three months. Yes. Um, why is that such an important element, and has Y Combinator ever considered gathering its cohort companies anywhere else? So the reason why it's important is because face-to-face, -face, there's something about um, getting that with um, being, being with other people like yourself, highly intellectual, entrepreneurial people, and just being in a group together. Um, and so, yes, you could stay where you are and work with your team, but I think being part of the challenge and momentum you can build um, at YC is being around other startups. Um, and I think that's something you can't replicate. Um, and so that's why uh, we, we ask everyone to come. And also, it's also easier to arrange everything. And so in actuality, like at YC, we don't have any office space and we don't provide like dorms or anything. You have to get your own apartment. That's the best way I think to focus is mm -hmm. to work in your own place together. Um, but once a week, it's good to get out, um, get some dinner with everybody, show everyone you've built. Um, and if you get on a weekly um, pace like that, it's just you have to prove that you've made progress every week um, to your fellow batchmates. Um, I think that's a good thing to do. Interesting. So you're, you're really, it's got to be there, and then once a week, everyone comes together yes. over a meal and shows off the work yeah. and has a chance to, to interact. Yeah, and I think it's really hard to explain, but I think everyone, I don't think anyone, everyone and even if they come from India or China, they've never regretted going there for three months. Um, and I think the other thing is just being in Silicon Valley and just getting that experience mm. and hopefully learning all the good parts and bringing it back to wherever they go if they choose to go back somewhere. Um, and uh, all the investors are there. And so one of the primary objectives of most companies when they go through YC is to raise some amount of money afterwards. Mm. And so obviously being there is important. Mm. So it gives access to the capital and exposure to the folks that are making those decisions. Exactly. All right. So, um, having having lived, well, I guess have you guys ever considered? Has it ever considered? Let's gather a batch elsewhere. Um, we have, and I think we've always come down to it's better for everyone to be in Silicon Valley. Um, but I do think as we um, expand more and more folks from around the world come, um, I think we won't ever do anything inside the U.S. in another area. But I think there's something you said about people like in India and China who are working in the local markets, like one of the number one things you should always focus on is being close to your users and always talking to your users. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit hard to be in San Francisco when your user is halfway around the world. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're always looking for ways to improve that mm -hmm. um, situation. So you've lived in different regions of the U.S. and you've, you've been interacting with startup founders from around the world yeah. through YC. I'm, I'm curious... Um, which cities and regions are, do you think are gonna be part of this next wave of uh, global tech hubs? So for sure, I lived um, in Beijing for a year and I am positive that is like the, the place to be, if not in San Francisco. Um, it's, I, think, I think people in Silicon Valley think they work hard, uh, <laughs> but in Beijing, it's just like another level of intensity. And so I think there's a lot of maturation now going on. One thing they, they don't have right now is very sophisticated and mature, like a high density of sophisticated and mature investors. Mm. But I think that's improving over time. And um, the people working in there are working on very important problems. It's no longer just, you know, like 
food delivery and stuff like that. It's, I mean, that's great too, and that creates a lot of jobs, but um, they're working on things like AI, and if you think about you know, all the people that live in China and stuff mm. like that, I think um, they're bound to potentially you know, take over at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us, we see a lot of applications, a lot of great founders coming from, you mentioned Lagos earlier, um, I think there's going to be a, a huge hub somewhere in Africa, and I think Lagos is probably the number one contender at this point. Mm-hmm. From India, Bangalore, Delhi. Um, and then even in the U.S., I think a lot of people, when they think about, okay, after Silicon Valley, where are the next two big hubs? People will say New York and L.A. Um, but I think actually my, 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 my bet would be actually on Toronto mm. um, because I think there are great universities there, highly technical people there, we see founders actually moving back to Toronto because they know oh, really? they can hire great talent there. It's mm. not just Silicon Valley anymore. Um, and it's cheaper to live there. It's still expensive to live there, but not as expensive as San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see, and we and we see lots of great founders coming from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have, I'm pretty positive that they're on a trajectory unlike other places. It would be interesting for you guys to chart which founders do move back to their cities versus who don't and to kind of see where that, that geographic where spread up. would be. Yeah. Yep. Um, what, what do you think the percentage is? I'm putting you on the spot. And this is sure. one, one thing I was thinking about as you're thinking. What do you think the percentage of founders that come to YSC, how much to stay, how many stay in, in the valley versus go back to where they were? A high percentage stay. And I think it's a function of they raise all their capital from people there. And it's all the talent is there. It's still all there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think only thing honestly holding some people back is they couldn't um is immigration issues Mm -hmm. and i think that's where san francisco could fail Mm -hmm. is or the u.s could fail is that i mean we hear all the time now is um great great entrepreneurs can't even stay here can't even come here and Mm -hmm. participate in things like yc Mm -hmm. um and that will be bad Hmm. all right so the the, it seems to me from the outside in that the biggest advantage of becoming a yc company seems to be uh tapping into a, the highly potent network that has developed. Um, what, what advice, first off, can you give a little uh, like insight to how big and robust that network is for folks yeah. who don't know? So we now have over 3,000 founders in the network. Um, and these folks are you know, either running huge companies at this point um, to starting new companies to now they're executives at Facebook or Snap or like just other big companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty expansive at this point. And I think one of the cool things, and this is one of the reasons why it's cool to be part of the network, but also be in Silicon Valley, is um, like people generally, we've, we've got such a diverse amount of technical people also. And so it's things like, I remember during my batch, someone had a problem, like the servers were falling down for some random reason. Um, and they just posted to the YC forum. At that point, it was just a mailing list. It's like, hey, does, can anyone help us because we've have, we have tons of people showing up and our site just keeps going down. And mm. then there was a person who just responded and said, hey, I can, I can come in 10 minutes. Mm. And he helped them and they, you know, they got yeah. through the patch. Mm-hmm. They, I think he stayed overnight <laughs> and just helped them through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that was because of the network and also because they were, frankly, like two streets down. <laughs> Well, it is interesting looking at the, the various assets you guys have listed on the, on the website, the, the book face, right, which is mm-hmm. your internal yes. uh, kind of LinkedIn meets Facebook meets uh, kind of listserv. Yes. I imagine that the neural network that's been created through the 3,000 people is pretty amazing. Yes. I mean, people are recommending other people. Um, and it, it really kind of reminds me of, of it, they, they, I've heard people call Y Combinator the kind of the, the Harvard of, of Silicon Valley. It seems to yeah. be a, a, a Ivy League kind of play with that network we, we, we enjoy the uh, uh, research or edu- the college analogy actually mm-hmm. um, like we think that a lot of cities for example or a lot of hubs have been started because of great research universities um, and a lot of corporations move mm-hmm. towards that because that's where the talent is and I think um, like that's what you kind of seen in Silicon Valley too as well hmm. So uh, what, what advice, uh, as you've been meeting with students uh, here and on your tour, what, what advice do you give them when it comes to um, building strong connections? Ah, 
quality over quantity. So I think a lot of people, or a lot of people fail in trying to network is they'll show up to conferences, give out 500 business cards and not even remember who they talk to. Um, so what I usually do is, I, one is I rarely go to conferences, but if I do, I'll just talk to two people but for a really long time mm. um, because then I know exactly, like I know who they are, I know how they can help me or how I can help them um, and I feel more tied to them. Mm. And so I think if people spent more time doing that versus like the spray and pray method, mm. um, that will build a stronger connection. Hmm. So yeah, it's fast how five, uh, 10 minutes can go. So uh, yeah. we're at the end. And the there last question I have for you before sure. you get to the hot seat is where, where can find, uh, folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, um, I have a Twitter page. Uh, my, <laughs> my handle is no limits. Um, and I've recently started using Twitter more often. So yeah. if you ping me there, I'll probably ping back. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, thank you for coming to the hot seat. Sure. We'll have you back for the round table. So as you get out, um, we'll... Um, bring in our next guest, Grant Wainscott uh, from the Metro Atlanta Chamber. Grant uh, is the Senior Director for Technology Ecosystem Expansion, and he's focused on helping Atlanta companies stay and grow here while helping to create robust connections between Atlanta and its global peers. Um, in your career, uh, Grant, you've lobbied for foreign governments, you've owned a used and rare bookstore and cigar shop. Was that the same time they were both bookstore and cigar shops or different? Like Monday, Wednesday, Friday was a bookstore. Tuesday, Thursday, we rolled out. No, it was all together. <laughs> it was all there. And then uh, you've ran a tech incubator in the North Carolina mountains. You've helped bring movie and film productions here to Georgia. And more recently, you're, you're helping Atlanta get front and center at global gatherings like South by Southwest, Mobile World Congress, and Web Summit, as well as creating things here uh, for people to come to. You, you're working on the clusters of financial technology, uh, cybersecurity, BDB software, and film, digital, media, entertainment tech. Is there anything I left out? No, that's plenty. All right. <laughs> and then you are, you are the father of a child actor as well. I am. A little shout out to I him. Am. Yeah, he's just on sitting to the left of me. That's right. <laughs> Wearing his five stripes uh, with the Go Atlanta United. United. Yeah, yeah, going on tonight. Um, all right, so let's, let's get you going with... Um, I'm, I, you and I uh, have had a lot of time to work together and talk uh, about what's going on, but I don't think most people know what Atlanta's doing to make these connections with all these other cities. So um, what is Atlanta's strategy for creating connections with other global cities, and which cities are you focusing on? Well, it's, I mean, it's a great question. I think that it goes back to constantly needing to be in front of you know, diverse audiences, your, your, your sales story, your message is, is never over. Just like any startup, any business, you're constantly telling your elevator pitch. And Atlanta's no different than any other city in the world and, and constantly needing to be out in front of, you know, global uh, corporate leadership, you know, startup capital, resources, um, political leadership, telling what it is that, that, that really we do best. You know, Atlanta's not trying to be all things to all people. Um, we have you know, defined core clusters that we work on with our friends at Georgia Power and, and Georgia Department of Economic Development and other strategic partners. Um, and, and we do that purposely. You know, we, we look and see what are the strengths from an ecosystem standpoint from amazing, you know, re, uh, universities like where we're sitting right now, the heart of Georgia Tech and Georgia State and the 70 colleges and universities we have that produce almost 300,000 students in Metro Atlanta. And we find those clusters like the few that you just mentioned those are uh, kind of three of our, our seven or eight core clusters that we work on. And we find, you know, to address your question specifically, we, we find other metro regions around the world who have some similarities, uh, you know, who do deep, uh, go deep dives into FinTech or deep dives into cyber. You know, we work with Tel Aviv, um, you know, hand in hand on cybersecurity. FinTech we're working with, um, Zurich and Singapore, London, um, you know, New York. Um, Dublin so, as well, right? And Dublin as well. Yeah, we'll be here uh, a week from uh, yesterday doing a um, um, live simulcast pitch off with uh, FinTech uh, Ireland and FinTech Atlanta. So we, we look at those, those markets where we don't just have similarities in, in the ecosystem, but it, you know, we have a consular presence here as well. You know, perhaps it's a foreign consular. It could be a bilateral chamber of commerce. Um, could be um, you know, a, a foreign business group university programs that have outreach, whether it's a study abroad program or professors that are going and, and, and studying uh, and, and um, you know, providing leadership in, in other schools, kind of wrapping that all on, into a bigger picture of art, culture, lifestyle, music, food, and business. Mm -hmm. And so those relationships tend to be a lot deeper than just, well, we're going to go to a trade show in Lisbon, you know, how many, how many companies that are there in Lisbon are interested in opening up in Atlanta? Um, 
there's so much competition in the world right now, you really have to think outside the box on how you grow both foreign direct investment um, and um, investment uh, helping our companies expand. Hmm. Uh, you had mentioned, uh, it kind of segued into the next question, which was, uh, I know some have called Atlanta a cultural mecca for all the music and film and digital content that's created here. Uh, how much of an impact does that have in attracting the, the companies and talent uh, to, to locate and build here? Oh man, it's huge. You know, I don't think any successful just concrete jungle. I mean, in any concrete jungle city is is successful in in not just attracting but retaining talent and culture and lifestyle. You, you've got to be so much more today to compete with you know the Beijing's to compete with the Lisbons. You know, we're not competing anymore with South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, Florida or or you know Seattle. We're now competing with every major city in the world. Um, and they've got some incredible attributes. You know, we're not the only awesome city in the world. We like to think we're one of the best. Um, you know, but there's a there's some hellaciously amazing competition out there. Um, people have great options on where to go. So, being able to to use things like Choose ATL and and some other um, you know really innovative ways to attract and retain millennial talent. You know, working with concert promoters, working with our our musical artists, trying to promote. Um, you know, creativity, not just working with animation and gaming, VR, but putting all those folks together with our sound and post-production and, and concert and, you know, live artists to create uh, a, a deeper ecosystem and a much more connected um, vibe to the city. You know, you go out on the Beltline today and you're seeing, you know, visual artists, um, you know, talking with performance artists, talking with, you know, CEOs. There's this there's this vibe that the city has, and by city I mean the entire metro region, mm -hmm. um, you know, that we didn't frankly have five or seven years ago. Um, and all that creative talent that's now come back to either has been in all along and kind of felt lost or has come back to Atlanta um, or moved here, uh, they really feel at home. And I think you're seeing in every corner of the region, every corner of the state, frankly, but really every corner of the region, um, creatives and and this this cultural awakening that the city's not, you know, completely baked. Our story's not written yet, and people mm -hmm. can come here, get involved, make their mark, and you really can't do that in a lot of other cities. Just you don't have the instant network that you really do, like you have in Atlanta. So you you mentioned Choose ATL, which is being incubated inside the the Metro Chamber, which was a grassroots initiative originally, um, and focused on the talent uh, attraction and retention. Um, there's a new program that's been launched. I'm curious what the elevator pitch for Backed by ATL is, and why was it created? So there are, oh my gosh, I mean, thousands of, of um, startups and scaling companies in, in metro Atlanta uh, and, and, and throughout the state. And it's impossible for the partners to, to do serious deep dives into every company to help them um, as much as we really would love to be able to. So the, the Back by ATL initiative is designed to really target, uh, in, in this case, the cohort this year, uh, is six or seven companies that are scaling you know, rapidly, adding jobs, have a, you know, a, a recent round of investment, you know, might be an A, um, it's generally past you know, seed, who really need connections inside the ecosystem. It could be a couple of key customers. Mm. Um, it could be you know, the next round of capital. It could be strategic partnerships at the universities. So basically, it is, it is opening up the, the top of the top Rolodex for these companies and spending, um, you know, in this case, um, six months to a year, could be longer, meeting consistently, understanding what the top needs, um, some of the top issues that they're facing right now, you know, what are the stumbling blocks, what are the opportunities, what door can we open, what roadblock can we remove, what CEO can we, you know, get on the horn, um, and, and how can we help you move the needle in taking a company, you know, we have one company who has um, 35 employees in, in Metro Atlanta now and, and has uh, 30 or 40 overseas. Uh, you know, how do we take them to 100 or 200 people here? And other companies have several hundred and they're you know, looking to possibly be 1,000 at some point. Um, it's not just about incentives. You know, it's not just about um, you know, real estate. There's, there's, a, there's a lot more that they need you know, from a support network. And so that's, that's essentially why we're, we've chosen. There's a... a, a very um, intelligent committee that was put together to, to help um, uh, weed through the applications and find those companies that really have the best chance for growth 
um, be an annual program. We're looking to, you know, to really have some fantastic early wins. Just launched it uh, just a month or two ago. Hmm. Really excited about it. Well, I'll, um, last meaty question for you before I get you out of the hot seat. Um, with your varied backgrounds and uh, various roles you've held, what, what advice would you give to any students coming out of college today? What advice would you give them? <laughs> Stay in it as long as I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, get out as fast as you can. Stay I mean, in the cocoon. If, if you're in Atlanta, um, you know, get out, get into the world. Um, you know, this is an amazing city. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm with the Metro Atlanta Chamber, so I'm going to put a, a local spin on it. But um, you're, there's no better place right now to be, you know, young and creative, and you don't even have to be book smart, just intelligent in what you want to do, and to know how to really activate that. Um, the network that you can get here in Atlanta is unlike anywhere else. If you're in these other major tech hubs in the world, it's still a pretty closed environment unless you have somebody seriously holding your hand. Atlanta's never been that way. We've always been an open city. We've always been about, you know, kind of taking care of our own, whether you've been here a day or your whole life. Frankly, no, almost nobody's from Atlanta. We've all kind of come that's, here by hook that's or a, crook. That's at your point. I mean, um, and we found ourselves here. And, and the network that you can get almost instantaneously, I've never, I've lived and worked all over the world. I've never found it like this. So no know that there's a city here that cares about what you're trying to do and, and wants to get you connected. So don't be shy. Reach out. Find, you know, find the garages of the world. Find the sandboxes. Find the programs um, that are there designed to get you plugged in. Choose ATL has a ton of programs for everybody from summer interns you know, to, to millennials that have been in the space for 10 years and looking to start their next company. Um, there's more support network here and opportunities for you to get plugged in. Um, and then you got to open up, you know, you can't be, you can't hold it all in and, and hold a bunch of secrets. This is the city that wants to, wants to learn about you, learn what you need, and then help you find those resources. Awesome. Well, last one for you is, uh, where, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, Chambers website, um, it's one of the easiest to get, uh, information on, you know, economic development. Uh, that's metroatlantachamber.com. Uh, you can also, uh, hit me on, uh, LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, at Grant Wayne Scott. Um, and fintechatlanta.org is our fintech outlet. Uh, we've, you know, chooseatl.org. Um, all you got to do is hit the Chamber website or Google anything about Metro Atlanta Chamber, and you'll find about 50 ways to connect. All right. Grant, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for getting You made thanks it through the hot me. seat. Well, and as you get out, uh, we're going to port in uh, around the world. Uh, we've got uh, our friend Dave Williams. Dave, Hello. Hello. Yeah, you don't have to get settled because you've been sitting with the headsets on for the last 40 minutes or so. So thank you very much for taking time in your evening. It's five hours later in Lisbon. Is that right? That's right. Wow. This is nice. This uh, doesn't have too much of a lag. So I think we're going to be able to get, get through this pretty well. So Dave is a serial. Uh, he's CEO and co-founder of Nomadics. Uh, hashtag live work play. Uh, Dave is a serial entrepreneur and investor in several large ad tech Atlanta based exits, including 360i. Search Ignite, now Ignition One, and Blink Media. The first two have over 1,500 employees, and the third was sold to Gannett in late 2012 and named a top tw uh, 10 transaction that year in New York City. He recently uh, co-founded Nomadics, which is a travel company for remote companies, teams, and employees that cur uh, curates co-living and co-working experience with its headquarters based out of Lisbon, Portugal, where you uh, now reside with your wife. Um, you, you recently also served as an entrepreneur uh, in residence at your alma mater, Washington Lee University. Did I, did I leave anything out there, Dave? Uh, that's about it. I also went to Emory, finished the MBA there. That's right. We've we got to get your Atlanta credentials coming in here. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, you, you've been many cities. You've built companies in, in Atlanta. You've spent a lot of time in New York. You're now in Lisbon. Um, how would you describe the difference between the, the technology scenes in Atlanta, New York, and Lisbon? Uh, it's, uh, I guess it's hard to kind of summarize it completely, but, um, you know, my background, obviously coming out of Atlanta, I think Atlanta was a phenomenal city, um, where I bootstrapped, uh, multiple companies, the 360i business. And we started this search ignite business there with the business partner, Roger Barnett was really the leader of that business. We ultimately acquired it. And then we also had the blink business, which started in Atlanta and then we ended up moving it to New York because we just saw so much opportunity in New York where the Atlanta market was just a little early, but we still maintained a lot of our technology and other resources in Atlanta. So I felt 
I've always kind of come back to Atlanta because I feel like it's a great city, especially if you're bootstrapping a company. You know, people are very friendly. People are very loyal to the businesses, um, smart people, hardworking. And uh, I think people are interested in experimenting with entrepreneurship and the economic system of the city and just the ease of working in Atlanta makes it a great city for entrepreneurship. I think New York, um, after having moved to New York, uh, we started the Blink business in Atlanta and we ended up moving it up to New York City and we actually moved a lot of our employees that were in Atlanta to New York to help us just because it's so much harder to find employees in New York, it's a lot more costly. And then the time it takes to ramp everyone up, we had a, a loyal, loyal base in Atlanta, we moved them to New York and that was a really great move for us. Um, when they were there, they're really dedicated to our business and we we're like a real family in New York. I think when we moved to New York though, when we started hiring the New Yorkers, it was much more challenging because you're not necessarily being the big dog in New York. Um, you, know, you really still have to pay top salaries at a multiple over what you typically pay in Atlanta. And then also the cost of, uh, you know, just infrastructure is so much higher. Um, and then even just the cost of just acquiring customers, maintaining relationships, the entertaining requirements, whereas in Atlanta, you know, a little more of a commuter city, whereas New York, you know, it's 24 seven, you're working, you're taking clients out, you're socializing, you know, pretty much, you know, all week, it's, it's, it's uh, another level of intensity. Uh, but the opportunities were just so large. We felt that uh, New York was a great opportunity for us and allowed us to have a big exit coming out of New York. I think if we had the company still in Atlanta and we hadn't moved to New York, we wouldn't have gotten as big of an exit. So I think it's, it's like owning real estate in Atlanta or owning real estate in New York. Having a New York presence, we felt was extremely valuable. Uh, we also had offices in Boston and, and, and uh, Chicago and uh, LA, San Francisco and in London. Uh, but the majority of our people were based in Atlanta. So I've got kind of this home base in Atlanta and that's where my uh, connections are. I think in Lisbon, it's a little bit different because Lisbon is, uh, it's just experiencing startups, startup culture really for the first time. They're kind of coming off, they, they got decimated by the 2008 um, crash in the economy. You know, they were really just starting to pick up, but they, they, the, this startup wave in Lisbon is just starting. I mean, it's really been about the last five years the first wave of startups, we're really starting to see some of these startups mature um, and we're, we're starting to have some some companies that might go public or might have a big exit. Um, there's a company here called Farfetch, which is probably like the number one company. They've got about a thousand uh, technology folks based here in Lisbon. The cost of resources in Lisbon is significantly less uh, than what we've seen, especially in New York and even Atlanta. For, for a developer, for example, you can hire a developer for 1200 euros per month. A good developer. So to hire a whole team of people, you can get a team for a lot less money. And you're also seeing a lot of enthusiasm in Lisbon around the startup scene because they haven't been through these startup cycles where people have been burned or people haven't kind of, you know, they haven't, they haven't seen kind of the downside of the startup yet. Um, so the energy that we're seeing in Lisbon is, is very similar to what we saw in the early dot-com days. Just a level of excitement for entrepreneurship and startups. A lot of kind of early stage stuff where, where uh, investments are coming through. The government's very oriented around attracting startups. Um, they just launched a new program called their $200 million fund. Um, and so as a part of that fund, if an if a authorized investor invests in a startup in Lisbon, the government will match it dollar for dollar. So they have $200 million available for that. And uh, they're just about to release all of the details related to that. It should be maybe one of the best matching programs available, not only in Europe, but potentially throughout the world. So Lisbon's very focused right now on the, on the startup scene. We also have, uh, there's a lot going on in the manufacturing space also in Lisbon. Um, what we're seeing over in Asia is that you know, in Asia, uh, the, the cost is going up in terms of uh, on the manufacturing side. So it's interesting on the manufacturing side, we're actually attracting a lot of that business here in uh, Portugal right now. And so that's a hot hot area as well. I think on the tech side, it's a little bit, reminds me a lot of Atlanta, where, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these cities that's kind of, it's on the growth. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, there's a lot of young people that want to live in uh, Lisbon. It's a, a real destination for the millennials. A lot of the people are moving back to Lisbon. A lot of the youth moved out of Lisbon after 2008. Now they're all kind of returning to Lisbon because it's this incredible startup market. Um, there's also, uh, you know, incredible lifestyle here. It's right on the beach. Living in Lisbon is like being in San Francisco, but about a tenth the cost. Um, get it's a beautiful about apartment. Probably 20 degrees warmer in the summer too, right? Amazing surfing. I mean, everything is just a beautiful country. The, the culture, it's very, very safe. It's considered one of the top three safest 
countries in the world. Um, and very culturally diverse. You have people from all over the world. It's just a mixture of cultures and you don't see racism. You don't see any of the stuff that you'll see or read about, you know, in the United States as much. And then it's also, you might have a pickpocket here or there, but nothing, you never feel threatened at all walking through the city. So it's a very beautiful, nice place to live. It's just getting started though. And so that's kind of what really excites me because mm. just being an entrepreneur and having kind of been through the, you know, being a part of the Atlanta tech scene, being over here, it's exciting to be kind of part of this sort of European, um, you know, country that really is on the fringe of something really great. You know, plus, they, they, everyone under 40 pretty much speaks English and very strong technology and graphics schools. They're not very strong at marketing, though. So the marketing here, I'd say, is very weak, but really strong technologists. So I think it's a great partner city for U.S. companies or for Atlanta companies that want a new headquarters into Europe. Um, especially now with, uh, you know, with Brexit going on, I think companies are looking for alternative cities beyond just, you know, the typical going to Amsterdam or going to Berlin or, you know, typically going to London. It's opening up a lot of opportunities uh, for Lisbon. So, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 they're all very, very different. Uh, but it's, uh, it's sort of an exciting place to be right now. We have a huge event coming up, the Web Summit, which is the largest technology event of the world. 60,000 people are converging here. They have an investor summit of 1,500 of the top investors throughout the world. Y Combinator is going to be here, the top investors from Google and Facebook. So they're really putting a lot, and was, this is an event that was uh, one, you know, they're going through kind of a, a process, but it's a huge event here in, uh, in Lisbon that's very, very exciting. And the, the government and everyone in the city is really rallying around this event as, hmm. you know, this is a real seen as a real turning point for the country. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that, that perspective, especially knowing what you have built and, and where you built it. So um, my next question for you is, um, what's the elevator pitch for Nomadics, your, your new company? Uh, and what's its origin story? Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, it's sort of been interesting. My wife and I, we had the opportunity to do some traveling over the last four years. We, we took some time off. We've been traveling the world. And over that period, just realized how easy it is to live and work really from anywhere. Um, the real sort of digital nomads kind of lifestyle. We ran into a lot of digital nomads. You know, I'm probably more like the 1% of the digital nomads, but, um, you know, still working, doing some investing, doing some advising remotely. I started NomadX while traveling, uh, eventually came back to Atlanta and actually started the company at the Sandbox. So I'll give you a little pitch, Scott, but we were incubating with my business partners in the Sandbox for a few months before we came here to Lisbon. Uh, but yeah, the, the NomadX business is really just all about bringing people together from around the world to live and work together in, uh, in various countries throughout the world, various cities throughout the world. We started the company in Lisbon because we think it's one of the most attractive cities uh, for young people to live and work very inexpensively while still maintaining their jobs at home or working on the road. Uh, we started the business with a focus on the digital nomads, uh, but I think the one big wake up for us um, you know, and this is one of the things you were studying the business and we were in Atlanta and we we're in the U.S. kind of looking at this market, but it wasn't really until we got here to Lisbon that we really understood the dynamics of this market. Um, we're, we've actually taken a pause on the business. We're going to restart. We're going to relaunch the business next year, uh, but with a real focus on remote workers, remote companies, remote teams, bringing them together for either sh short kind of couple week long periods to month long plus long periods working together in a foreign city. So getting them out of their homes, out of their underwear, in front of their computers, and actually like living and working together almost in like a graduate style environment that you typically see in like a Y Combinator or Techstars, but where it's not necessarily part of a formal incubator, and then offering some uh, education layers on top of that. So we're, I think for this summer, we're really thinking about focusing you know, one of the month long programs on search marketing, one on social, and then one on uh, you know, data and research, and then partnering with some of the largest media companies to sponsor those programs. Uh, and then hopefully really inspiring people uh, and sharing information. So having people there, they're experts in these categories, and even the people that are part of the program sharing their knowledge with each other is kind of the, the anti-conference, where I think a lot of people are going to conferences these days, and they're spending a lot of money on the conferences. And we're not sure they're getting a lot out of it, just sitting and listening to speakers talk. I think where the, most of the, the knowledge is really gained is from you living with um, other peers, spending time with them, going out to dinners, going out to drinks, you know, and then having fun together too. I think that's that. That and when you come home, you're you're inspired to, you know, really take your work to the next level, and then you've also expanded your network as well. It's interesting to think that uh, we live in an era where um, you don't work near your coworkers; you go on vacation with them, 
uh, and have vacations and then go back to your work. Uh, so it's, it's not like the, the traditional corporate trip where everyone's already officing together. You're just gathering people who don't normally office in the same location to give them those really intense shared experiences, which is what it sounds like you guys are going with. Right. I mean, I think, uh, yes, along the same lines, what Adora was talking about, I mean, it's really important for people to have those personal connections. So if you have a lot of companies are going 100% remote or a large portion of the workforce is remote, for them to effectively operate, they've got to get their teams together quarterly, annually, even monthly in smaller teams. Um, we're seeing that with companies like Automatic, um, even companies here in town like Search Discovery, 110 employees, 70% um, of their employees are, are remote. Um, and so we're seeing a, a huge movement in that direction. We're also seeing movement in the other direction with companies like IBM and Yahoo that feel it's important to bring everyone back at house. But I think ultimately, you know, we're kind of taking a look at what does the future of work look like, um, whether it's for millennials or for people where their kids have left the house. Uh, we're really seeing a strong demand for people to have these experiences that aren't just vacations, where it's a week-long vacation or a 10-day vacation, where they're still working even when they're on vacation, but really going and living somewhere where they can do their work, they can live, they kind of experiences, and they really feel like a local at the end of the day. They know the barista, they know the, the, you know, the, the bartender at the local pub, and they, they know the, the great restaurants, and they can walk to work through the, the, you know, the cobble streets of, of Lisbon and go to a great co-working space where there's people there from all over the world. We find that to be like very inspiring for people and then to have cultural kind of immersion events and breakthroughs where people feel, you know, this is the best experience they've ever had in their life or they go to an event and they cry or a company tells their employees they're bringing them all abroad to Lisbon and, and their employees start crying at the company meeting. They're so excited. Hmm. So we think like that's really what's required to kind of inspire this next generation of workers and that just all of the technology and everything is all great. But I think there's these experiences or what my friends are now calling it as memories. It's no longer about experiences, but it's about memories. And hmm. so that's really what we're trying to create. Well, let me, uh, let me skip to the, uh, over one question. Leave, leave that for the round table. Um, uh, you, you've been doing a lot of mentoring, a lot of angel investing, a lot of early stage investing. Um, what's, what's the advice that you seem to give the most often? Uh, I mean, I always tell people to, I think at the end of the day, a lot of startups, they try to address a market that may be too big or too broad. And you think about it, you know, it's you kind of you go to school and you're going after these large markets. But I think at the end of the day, um, the number one thing a lot of companies don't need to, that they need to do is really focus on a segment where they feel like they can actually be number one in that segment. And a lot of times once they find that focus to even focus further. So I always say you got to focus to a fault. Uh, and just really focus on something where you feel like you can dominate a segment. Once you prove you can own that segment, I think to the extent you're an expert in one thing, you tend to be able to charge more premium prices. If you become an expert in one thing, then it allows you to track the investors. And then you can always grow and diversify as you get, as you get further on in the business. A lot of companies try to be too broad too quickly, mm. and then they just become sort of marginalized, and uh, you know, it's hard to differentiate, really. Well, uh, final question for you uh, before we get out of the hot seat and go to the roundtable is, uh, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Probably the best thing to do is just email me, uh, Dave at Nomadics, N-O-M-A-D-X.com. Taking a little bit of a break on Facebook right now <laughs> and I spend a little bit of time on LinkedIn, not much on Twitter. Um, but yeah, for me, I think like what I've, I've sort of found is I, you know, these, these, social site, these social sites are great, but they can be very addictive and very distracting. And I think they can also limit your growth quite a bit. So yeah. you know, I'm taking a little bit of a break from that right now because I just get, uh, it's been my life for the last 10 or 20 years. So I'm trying to <laughs> good, good get to, off it. Yeah, good to disconnect. All right. Well, uh, thank you. You made it through the hot seat portion. So applause for you on that one. And we'll have Adora. You can come over and you can grab that mic stand and Grant, you can be there. Yeah, you can set that site, and that way you can see, uh, and you can pull that mic over there for you. Um, you guys can look at either monitor. Yeah, he's he's going to see us with that that uh, camera right there. Um, all right, so let me. Um, you guys been and, and Scott, just so you know, I've got some I've got some good stats here too on yeah, some of the Go top ahead. cities and places throughout the world. I've been connecting with a guy here out of uh, that was actually um, we were networking with here in uh, Lisbon, but he's actually done some research and built some algorithms, and he's. He actually hasn't released it yet, but he gave you some early insights. Oh, well, it's, it's some it's of the a top good, countries and cities in the world. Let's talk. Let's go with that because I think that's the um, one of my questions for you guys was, um, you know, where where do you think the the, the emerging center, centers are now? Uh, let's. What does the research say? Um, there's a company called Startup Link B 
B-L-I-N-K. Um, they're kind of doing a little shift in their business, but really focusing on the research and even advising cities on how to best um, improve their ecosystem. But he told he he couldn't release all the research because they haven't they haven't published it publicly yet. Uh, but what he told me is, uh, you know, seven out of the twenty cities um, are U.S. actual base cities, with number one being San Francisco, number two New York, number three Boston, number four L.A., number five is Seattle, six is Chicago, and number seven is Austin. Um, Atlanta is coming up at number eight on the list. Um, on the global list, it's interesting because there's three um, kind of smaller countries that are sort of emerging in the research, which shows that even some of the smaller countries can't have more power. Um, his research is telling us that Israel, Estonia, and Finland are three of the top smaller ones. And then on the larger scale, as Adora is referring to, Shanghai and Beijing are really top on the list because they're producing a lot of one billion plus unicorns that are rising very fast. Um, he had some feedback, you know, on Atlanta, which I thought you guys might be interested in as well, um, telling me that, you know, the strength in Atlanta, they're number 21 on the global list, number eight in the U.S. Um, the strength really being in the number of startups, the co-work spaces, the accelerators in Atlanta, he felt were strong. Um, he felt that there were weaknesses in, having, in, in regards to being low quality of startups in comparison to some of the other players. But it was a vibrant city. There's much going on. Uh, but they thought the quality could be improved. Um, so that was just kind of some of the, the quick feedback that I got, the sort of uh, you know, independent of our sort of Atlanta <laughs> orientation or Lisbon orientation. But uh, I thought that That's was interesting. It's really good. No, I, I guess um, let me throw the question to you guys um, in this way. If you had to choose uh, uh, a city that you were going to bet was going to be uh, the place that you were going to start your next big company, and you can't go to somewhere you've already lived or worked. Where would you, where would you put that company? Where would you build that? Where I haven't lived or worked. Well, it'd be Toronto. Um, that might be cheating because I've been there many times. But um, yeah, but, but, but I think there your is, chips are there. It sounds like. Yeah, I think. I mean, if you look at, you know, you want to be in a startup hub, and that means like, what are the characteristics you want to look for? It's high quality technical talent. Um, a place where young people will flock to, um, because in startups, you know, mm -hmm. generally on average, it's younger folks um, taking that risk. Uh, to um, it's pro investors, like mm -hmm. you need to have really good investors. And you, you talk about Atlanta. So you know, I we, we one of the, in my group last batch, one of the best companies was an Atlanta uh, company from Atlanta, and they raised quite a number, quite amount of money afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think his feedback is basically like he's going. He's actually moving back, mm -hmm. um, which is good. No, yep, totally um, good for he's, us. Yeah, and he, I'm like he, for sure it's a billion dollar type business. Um, but his thing, the reason why he went to Silicon Valley is because exactly like he couldn't find any investors here. And so I think my f general feedback in all these startup hubs were you've got you've actually got the talent, and maybe they're moving away. It's help maybe develop the investor talent pool. Mm. Um, and so you can, I think there are, there are ways to, um, for people who with, you know, money, um, to train them, to give them some classes, I don't know, some kind of angel investor conference, yeah. um, and help them think about how to invest in startups, hmm. um, and think about it in a sophisticated manner. Building better capacity within the investors. Yeah, there's money here yeah. for sure, um, and I think it's just seeing it as an like a good investment to make and how to go about doing it. Grant, where would you put your company? Can't be Atlanta. <laughs> Can't be North Carolina. Right, Can't be my, DC, Florida. With my hands tied, uh, I don't know. I'm digging Lisbon. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I really. Uh, yeah, you, I, you're going to be at the web summit, aren't you? We're working on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the, the unique aspect of if you could, as a digital nomad, if you could kind of live and work anywhere you wanted, there's a certain aspect of um, lifestyle that you're looking for. But, you know, to your point, you still have to have, um, you know, an investment grade city and someplace that you can get connected. I mean, I guess I would say um, you can throw as much capital as you want at companies. And we've sure seen that out of the valley in New York and Boston and other places. And you can burn through it awful quick if you don't have customers. 
Um, and so eventually you come to Atlanta for customers. Um, you know, one, one cheating. way or the now other. You're cheating. You're cheating. Um, no, I'm <laughs> saying I would, I would set up in you Lisbon. Set Lisbon <laughs> and you would come back. God, you, you, you guys are good at the chamber. Dave, Dave, what about you? Paul's just listening. Yeah, Dave, yeah, yeah, this is regret. Dave, where, where, you can't go to Lisbon. You can't go to any other places. Where, where are you going to put your company? I mean, you're meeting a lot of people from a lot of different countries and cities. I'm curious, uh, what are the ones that you're hearing about that you're, like, you're, you're intrigued by? Uh, well, I, mean, I think Israel's very, very impressive. I mean, not being from there, I think it would be difficult, but I think that is definitely like a spot where you're just seeing tremendous volume of startups. I like the idea of starting it somewhere where you can actually afford to, we don't need a lot of money to start the company. And then once you actually gain traction, uh, possibly moving the company to one of these larger cities like a San Francisco. I mean, the, in some of this research, my, my buddy was telling me about, um, he basically, I mean, his, his whole thing was that just San Francisco is uncontended. Um, and nothing, he said nothing was implying that it's going to be threatened in the next decade. And the gap is just getting bigger and bigger. So I mm -hmm. think, like, if you've got a startup that has a lot of potential, that's where you need to be. Um, we were kind of Atlanta and New York before, but I think I can't go to New York. You're not letting me. But I think <laughs> San Francisco is definitely, Israel and San Francisco would be, like, top of the list. Nice, nice. All right, so this, I'm going to go to one other question, and you guys uh, have been hearing each other, so I'd love to hear what you guys want to hear from each other. Um, I, I'm going to throw this out because it's, it's going against what Dora's saying and what, what Dave is saying. Um, what, between like virtual reality, AR, increased mobility, and this whole idea of distributed workforces, how important is it for physical location um, for, uh, for these leading tech companies in like the next five to ten years? I mean... We already are seeing companies that are not locating their, their workers in the same place and they're distributed, like you mentioned, automatic. Um, is, is, is physical proximity of your workforce going to be important, like you know, ongoing, persistent, uh, like living in the same town? You know, strangely enough, this might seem counterintuitive, but like technological process or progress, like telephone, you know, um, video conferencing, um, internet and stuff like that. That has actually, I think, made face-to-face -face meetings the higher ROI and better and more, even more important. Mm. Like you're not, I, I actually can't imagine before telephone how people did meetings. It just must have been the most inefficient. Like you would just do inane things that, you know, you could just do over email. Mm -hmm. um, and so because you're getting so much more out of those meetings, I just think that it's even more important <laughs> to do it in person. Um, and I just, uh, and so, and, and on top of that, I think, I've said this before, which is there's nothing to replace the fact that I can just, you know, walk outside, meet a friend, talk about, you know, an idea, and then run into, an, like, a random investor and make that connection. Like, you yeah, just don't get that. Yeah, that's serendipity. You're right. That, that idea yeah. that when you have that density of location, exactly. of events that you're going to, spaces that you're going to, media right. content, you're, you're all consuming, you're in that same bubble, yeah. it's easier and faster for that to happen. Yes. Um, and I think, like, if you think of other industries, too, like, there's a reason why finance is still in, you know, a couple cities. Art mm -hmm. is in only a couple cities. Um, and same with tech. Mm. Uh, and so, we'll see. I, I just think, actually, like I said, it's a little bit paradoxical. But mm -hmm. um, as we get better with technology, we want to be in more person more. Well, and, and until, until we're starting uh, to get technology that allows for, you know, uh, beyond sight and sound, but... Um, odor and the visceral uh, nearness I mean, proximity of the human being. Um, Dave, you, you guys are, you, you sound like you're right in the, the right location. Uh, you're putting yourself in the right spot to take advantage of providing, you said, memories, experiences. Is, is, are we now with the technology? I'm looking and I'm thinking through my 16-year-old and his Snapchats streaks <laughs> and, and how he's met people from around the world and country and still stays friends with them. I think of all my friends that I made through the Twitter a boom of 2008, 2007, and now feel like I know them better than people that I live next to. I mean, I literally don't even know my neighbors to the right at my house. Uh, um, Dave, do you, do you think that uh, physical proximity on an ongoing daily basis is important, or do you see that going to be shifting? Uh, well, I definitely think that um, you got to look at what the, the employees want, what people want, what's going to make them happy, and I think uh, and make them most as most productive as they can be. Uh, I think definitely with all the technology and people just working all of the time, 
Um, the need to commute and kind of sit around the water cooler isn't really as necessary, but I do think having in-person meetings and uh, regularly connecting with your coworkers, whether it's a part of a team, getting together monthly or company events, quarterly, annually, super important. Um, I think it's hard. For, I think it, the, the remote companies are very, very difficult for bringing on new staff. So I think I'm not, not exactly sure what the model is for that. I mean, automatic requires that they actually have a two month sort of incubation period where they work as consultants before they actually bring them on full time. Hmm. Uh, so the traditional model of just hiring someone, bringing them on and seeing if they work or not doesn't seem to work as well in these remote companies. And they require that they actually kind of have a lot of face-to-face -face time early on. They find that to be the most successful model for them. Hmm. So I do think the face-to-face -face is super important, uh, but I think you, know, you don't need it all of the time. I think people like to have the flexibility working from home. And I think as long as you're, uh, you know, people, just this next generation, that's sort of what they require. It's just, uh, hmm. I think at some point it's just not gonna be an option. And I know your answer, Grant, is they have to be in Atlanta. So that's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, Dave, David Arnett, he, he said Atlanta, of course. Uh, I think it depends on the company. Yeah. I, mean, I think there's sure. corporate culture that is ingrained in some companies that requires them to be a little bit closer to, to where that culture really emanates from. And, and, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we would never have thought of, you know, conference calling like we do today, video conferencing like we do today. You know, in 10 years, is going to be, you know, like Sheldon's, you know, virtual presence device running around everywhere, you know, holograms. Who knows what, what a meeting is going to be like or if they're even necessary. Yeah. So I think, you know, things are evolving quickly enough. Um, I think companies are going to just have to be nimble. What questions do you have for each other? You have been listening to each other for the last 45, mm -hmm. 50 minutes. Um, um, you're going to hook us up? We come over to... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> gonna book yeah, Dave, 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 is there going to be a... Now little, that you sold the city, I, I want to hook if up. There, is there a nomadic <laughs> yeah. discount for everyone listening to this show or on the show? Should we... Yeah, should we, should so I would love to connect with you guys. If anyone's coming over, just send me an email, and I'd love to have a little meetup or a gathering of all the Atlanta folks trying to organize maybe an event while we're here. And then also, uh, we started working with one of the top startup law firms here in the city. So if you guys are curious just about some of the incentives, some of the new packages, everything that Portugal is putting together, they're really trying to incentivize companies to have not necessarily their headquarters there, but their European headquarters based out of Lisbon. Uh, it makes it very sort of financially, very financially motivated. Uh, I'm not allowed to disclose, I guess, some of the details because I guess it's, <laughs> it's not, hasn't been, the law firm kind of gave me some insights I shouldn't have, but I do think there's, uh, if you guys are interested in meeting with one of the law firms to get the insights, that would be great. And if you just want to catch up, have some fun one night. There's a lot of things to do, and the, the social scene is just energizing. You'll, you'll forget yeah, what time I'm it is. The next thing you know, it's your, three or four I'm, in the morning. <laughs> I'm really quite, I'm quite jealous of your Facebook feed uh, at this at this point, <laughs> right. based on all the, all the good stuff you, you guys. You can share doing. my youth hostel with me. Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So uh, yeah, the hostels are nice. Uh, you get Adora or Grant or Dave. You guys got questions? I, I, have you ever thought, hey, what does a Metro Atlanta chamber do, or what does a chamber do? Is it like burning in your head as an entrepreneur? Uh, or I, I know you're like salivating over the 3,000 network, uh, alumni network of the YC. Uh, <laughs> maybe you want to know about used books and cigars. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys got? <laughs> no, I think it's fascinating to, 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 to get you know, a diverse group of uh, professionals together, use that term loosely for me, but... Um, you know, professionals together that, that are, are working in similar spaces, different parts of the world, get, get the take on, on, you know, what's hot in their world. Um, I think it's important for people to really, you know, evaluate and understand what, what's best for, for them, for their company, for their startup. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. I've certainly learned a lot. All right. Well, we have a, an audience member. You want to introduce yourself and uh, ask your question? Yeah. Hi, I'm Ethan. Um, all of y'all seem to have a wide range of experience, both talking to people nationally and also internationally. Um, and one of the things I was always kind of struck by with collaboration was how much tools make a difference. Different teams do it completely differently. And so I was kind of curious if uh, the three of y'all would highlight one or two either products or things that you have seen teams do with regards to collaborating remotely that have been either surprising or you think have been effective. Because I know there is really, I've heard a lot of teams that I've said, oh, I've never even known that that was a thing that works well. I think the baseline tool most startups are using today is Slack, or some version of Slack, like HipChat, or I think Atlassian has another version too. Um, but like all tools, if you overuse it, it's a complete distraction. It becomes like Facebook or Twitter. Um, 
Uh, but I think a healthy usage of Slack is a good way to communicate, especially if you're a remote team. I imagine that's used a lot. Um, I think there there is space to figure out how do you get the common, like all the knowledge in a company in one. Th I don't think anyone has figured out like the wiki for the company. Mm, like mm -hmm. everyone, like when you onboard a new person, they always have the same exact questions, or there's like data hidden somewhere and all that some tacit file. knowledge, right? And yeah. I've just been going through that recently. Oh, there you go. Um, and so people have tried to solve that problem, but no one has solved it. So I think if someone has a unique take on it, that would be a huge mm. opportunity there. Sounds like a great startup that should uh, happen here for TechSquare. Yes, Square. for sure. <laughs> Dave, what, what do you guys, uh, what tools are you finding useful? And this would be our last uh, one. I mean, we've just kind of just kept everything very simple. We, we, we were using a lot of tools for a while, but now it's just, we just have a small team, so just a couple of us right now. Um, so we've already kind of built most of the things that we need. So. I mean, my, my partners and I would just communicate on WhatsApp or, you know, it's, uh, that's pretty simple. We have a Slack channel. We haven't even used that that much, but I think the Slack is pretty effective if you have a larger group. Mm -hmm. And then just, uh, you know, just some, the Google tools, just the Google Docs, Google Sheets, just, you're trying, I try, I, I'm just all about simplicity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, not yeah. as much of a tech guy and get into all this stuff as much, but whatever it takes just to get the job done. Yeah, light and easy. Let's do it. Well, we have run out of time. I'm really excited about this conversation, and that does bring us to the end of another episode of the Hump Day Exchange. I want to thank our guests, Adora Chung, uh, Grant Wainscott, Dave Williams, and our strategic partners, the University Financing Foundation, Gateway Development Services, ATDC, uh, SQ5, Metro Atlanta Chamber, Choose ATL, MARTA, Honeywell, the Combine, and the Atlanta Bridge community. All of those folks make these things happen. So be sure to check out TechSquareATL.com for regular stories about TechSquare. That's where this episode will be posted. Um, learn more about the Sandbox ATL membership network at sandboxatl.com and book your breakthrough event at bookthegarage.com. I want to give a final thank you to you, our listeners. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love it if you share this podcast with friends. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and, and definitely leave a review. Um, so until you see the camel silhouette beamed in the sky again, this has been the Hump Day Exchange. Well done, everyone.